If you want to open up your Bibles to Acts chapter 12, that's going to be where we're going to start and stay for, the, for today. I really do appreciate uh, the, the good worship service we've had. I appreciate the guys that have helped lead us, but everybody, um, guys, girls, visitors, people that are regularly here, everybody just participating and encouraging me and just uh, making sure that we are focused on praising God first and foremost and edifying our brothers and sisters in Christ uh, secondarily. So in Acts chapter 12, as we had the reading earlier from verses 1 through 5, this is a turning point in the early church. Not only is it a turning point when you just look at the book of Acts, because there are a lot of things are going to change from here on out, but if you look here at what happens, we have the death of one of the original apostles. In fact, it's one of the ones that if you read the Gospels, one of the four or five, or maybe five or six, uh, depends on how you look at it, that really is one of the main ones. I mean, if you're going to make a list of which apostles are kind of like the primary guys, the ones that are mentioned most often, you're going to, most people would say Peter first, and then you might think of Judas, or maybe you think of him last, and that's not a bad thing because we should probably think of Judas last. He was kind of terrible in some ways, um, in some major ways. Uh, but you might also think of James and John. Well, that's James right here. That's the James that dies. Maybe think of Andrew. Maybe think of a few others. But I mainly think of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Those are just the ones that stand out to me. Well, that James is the one that, that's put to death here. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just got to wreck the Christians. Well, that's what you would think at least. Let's go to Acts chapter 12, and let's look down to verse number 24. Now, there's a lot that happens between verse 5 and verse 24, and that's what we're going to spend the, uh, the bulk of our time talking about. But let's just read verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. So how do you go from James, the brother of John, being killed, to then all of a sudden the word of God increases and is multiplied? Now, I think that what we should also assume along with that is not just like the word increases and then more people hear it, but actually more people are responding. So let's just say the church grows, the kingdom is spread, people are being saved and believing. But it started out with, at the beginning of this chapter, with James is killed. So you have Herod. You have this Herod who, if you read in the Gospels, there are a couple of different Herods that, that we read of. This is most likely Herod Agrippa, the grandson of the Herod at the beginning of the Gospels, who's trying to put all the babies to death. And then you have the other Herod that actually kills John the Baptist. And then you have this Herod, okay? So most likely Herod Agrippa. And he's just doing something terrible here. And if you look at the reason, he says in verse 3 that he saw that it pleased the Jews. So my, my guess is that he just wanted to please the, the Jews, and he saw this was going to work. I was going, y'all can feel free to uh, pick a seat anywhere. There's a few right here in the middle. Yeah, no, it's no problem. We're in Acts chapter 12, um, and we're just going to be looking at some things in Acts 12. So we're going to begin reading in verse 6, and we're going to read down through verse number 19. Let's start in Acts chapter 12, beginning verse 6. Now when Herod was about to bring him out, this being Peter, on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, 
wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And he went out and followed him. He did not know that he was what he did not know that what was being done by the angel was real, but thought it was he was seeing a vision. When they had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them of its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I am sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you're out of your mind. But she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. We'll go ahead and pause here just for a second. So what has happened that leads to verse 24, where the word of the Lord increases and is multiplied? We haven't finished the story, but if we just look and just, I'm going to make a few observations and then we'll make a couple of maybe bigger points and then we'll read a few extra verses and then make another point from that. But if you just look at what's happened, okay, so Peter is in prison and he's just awaiting his death. I mean, it's going to happen the next day, it says. Uh, So he's sleeping. Real quick question, if you knew you were going to die tomorrow, would you be able to sleep tonight? Yeah, I don't think I could either. So maybe that tells us a little bit of insight of the comfort and peace from Peter. I mean, he doesn't know that this is going to happen. We have no indication that we should think that Peter knew he was going to be released or anything like that. Nor do we think he has some sort of confidence where it's like Abraham had faith in God where you know he could raise Isaac from the dead. So that's why he, he actually took Isaac up and put him on the altar, right? We don't think, we have no reason to think Peter's sitting here thinking, even if I do die, I mean, God's going to raise me up, right? I mean, this is very, a very real possibility in Peter's mind. This is it. Like tonight is his last night on this earth. But he still has the peace and the comfort to go to sleep. Even if I was as tired as I am now, because I woke up so early to make the drive back down to Atlanta, I would still not be able to sleep super well tonight if I knew that I was going to die tomorrow. And also, you've just seen that James has been killed. Like, this guy Herod's not messing around. He's not afraid to put people to death. And he knows it's going to make the Jews happy, and he's seeking to please the Jews. You're going to die if you're Peter. But yet you can sleep just fine. You can sleep so fine that it takes an angel actually like hitting you on the side be like, hey, wake up, <laughs> to actually get your attention to wake up. I think that's amazing. I think that just says something about Peter's mentality, where his head's at, and his head is focused on Christ. His mind is the mind of Christ. And if you actually think about what's happening here, what winds up playing out is that they wake up and like he's not there anymore. This is a little bit similar to probably the reaction that the soldiers would have had when the tomb was empty with Jesus. They said they didn't have hair breathing down their neck making threats towards him, but we'll get to that in just a little bit. So here we have Peter, he's asleep, okay? So then you have an angel that comes up, and he hits him on the side, 
And he says, hey, get up quickly. Then the chains fell off. So if you notice what it says earlier in verse 4, there's four squads of soldiers that are guarding him. And he's chained, if you look down in verse 6, he's chained in between two soldiers. Okay? But he's got soldiers on both sides chained to him. And four squads, my understanding, that would be about 16, maybe four people per squad. So there's four squads, so 16 soldiers all around. I mean, there's just no escaping, right? There's no way he's going to get out. And also, he's chained to these guys. Any movement that he makes is going to make a noise or is going to kind of rattle them a little bit. They're going to feel it. They're going to notice it. But here's the angel saying, get up quickly. And then the chains fell off. I don't want to make a huge deal of this, but just maybe a side point that we might want to expand into a bigger point uh, towards the end is that when he has this instruction to get up quickly, he doesn't, he doesn't wait until the chains fell off and then gets up quickly. He does exactly what the angel says. Now, why did he do that though? Okay, so he, he dresses himself, puts on the sandals, gets ready. I mean, this is just, I would just, if, if, if the chains fell off me, I don't think I'm doing any of that. But that's exactly what the angel said to do. So I would think this is going to make too much noise. What does it matter? Let me just get out of here. Um, I'm trying not to die. I don't care about sandals on my feet. I'll step on rocks. It doesn't matter. I don't need a cloak. Let me just go. But no, he just does exactly what the angel says. I'm not saying he took a sweet time, but he does exactly what the angel says. And he follows the angel out. Did you notice what it said in verse number 10, though? Excuse me, verse 9. It says that he didn't know that this was real. <laughs> he thought that he was dreaming, right? <laughs> I mean, I, I would probably think it was a dream as well. So this is also kind of interesting to me that even in his subconscious, Peter is faithful and trusting, <laughs> To the point where he's going to do exactly what the angel of the Lord says to do. If this is my dream, I'm not getting up probably. Because even in my subconscious, I'm, I'm going to be afraid. I'm going to lack some faith. Because this doesn't make sense what's happening right now. But when he comes to himself in verse 11, says, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me. What do you think happened? Like, what is the other option? And now he just knows it's real. This doesn't mean he comes to himself and says, Now I know God cares for me. Now I know I should be faithful. It's not that. He comes to himself and realizes, oh, that really happened. Like, I'm outside the gate right now. I was in there, and I was going to be put to death tomorrow, uh, today. Like, right now, I should be, they should be coming to get me to take me to die, and I'm outside the gate. That really just happened. But it all, it all started because God wanted this to happen. Then Peter responded out of faith and trust, and he just followed the angel like he was supposed to. So the first place he goes is he goes to this place where all these Christians are praying. Because if you go back to verse 5 of chapter 12, it says that while he's kept in prison, earnest prayer for him is made by the church. We'll talk about earnest prayer in just a second, but just notice that they're getting together praying. And they're praying and praying and praying. What are they praying for, do you think? Just, just think in your mind, what could they be praying for? Okay, James has just died. Peter is going to die. You think their prayer was that he'd be released? Maybe. How much confidence would you have that's even going to happen, though? I wouldn't have confidence in that. Maybe that's a shortcoming that I have. That I see evidence that this is going to happen, or this has already happened. I, I add that to this and say, this is going to happen with Peter, too. Okay? But it seems like that's what they're praying for. I'm assuming they're praying for Peter to be released. I'm assuming they're praying for comfort and peace. I'm assuming that they're praying for him and for his well-being. Or maybe they're just asking God to be with him. 
Whatever that means. Just God be with Peter. So he goes to them, and it says it's at the house of Mary, who's the mother of John, whose surname was Mark. We know this person is, <coughs> excuse me, is John Mark, who we believe wrote the Gospel of Mark, who was also um, on the journey with, um, with Paul. And he was kind of the, 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 that's why he and Barnabas divided at one point. He went with Silas. Barnabas took John Mark. Also, we think that Peter and John Mark would have been very, very close, that John Mark would have been Peter's maybe protege in some ways. So he kind of goes back home, like his second home, if you will. And there he is knocking at the door, and this servant girl named Rhoda comes to answer. And I think this is really funny in verse 14. In her joy, she didn't open the gate. What? <laughs> in her joy, she just she, she hears his voice and runs to tell everybody else. And they're like, oh, you're crazy, little girl. What's wrong with you? you know? And then she keeps on insisting. They keep on hearing the door knocking over and over again. And I imagine Peter's just out there, maybe not yelling or anything like that, but he's just like speaking to them. And then finally they realize, oh, this is real. So now there's this two different times where people in this text have come to the realization that what's happening is real. Peter was, thought he was dreaming, realized, oh, this is real. Now the people inside Mary's house are like, oh, this is real. Peter's here. He's actually standing at the door knocking and calling out to us. So they get him to come in, and what is the first thing that he says? He says that he describes to them in verse 17 how the Lord had brought him out of the prison, and he said, tell these things to James. Which James are we talking about? James is just put to death. Peter knows he's put to death. My understanding, this would be James, the Lord's brother. Jesus' brother, who we know, if you fast forward and you see the church of Jerusalem, there's a council in Acts chapter 15, I believe, and who's the guy that's kind of like the, one of the main voices there? James. And, we, and again, we believe that to be Jesus' brother. So he says, tell these things to James and to the brothers. And then he just stays there, right? Like this is the, his family. They've been praying for him. There's obviously a lot of power in their prayer because he just got released from prison. No, he doesn't stay there. He departs and goes to another place. What do you think he was telling that other place? <laughs> Let me tell you exactly what God just did for me. Let me tell you exactly the power of the Lord. And let me tell you exactly what you need to do about that. This is the confidence and strength and boldness you need to have in the Lord. Then I guess it's daylight comes and it says there's no little disturbance. I like that. That happens a few times in scripture where there was no little disturbance. There was a big disturbance is what that means. And it says among the soldiers of what had happened. So here the soldiers are freaking out. You got about 16 to 20 guys just freaking out what's just happened and who's the one person they don't want to report to right now. They don't want this guy Herod finding out. But that's exactly what happens. So Herod searches for him, doesn't find Peter. He examines the sentries and orders that they should be put to death. So on this day, Peter is supposed to be killed and instead the sentries are put to death. And he goes down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. So like you have Peter goes off somewhere else. And you have Herod goes off somewhere else. Let's look at what happens to, Pete, to, to Herod after this. Verse 20. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon. And they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat up upon the throne and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a God and not of a man. Immediately, 
an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. And Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service, bringing with them John, whose other name was Mark. I just want to make a couple comparisons real quick for this last section. So Herod's angry, <coughs> excuse me, and it says that he, um, they, they send some sentries. So, I mean, they send some, uh, some representatives from Tyre and Sidon to say, hey, we need some help with food. And they're just trying to like, kind of keep the peace, it seems like that. So Herod puts on his royal robes. When, before Peter left the prison, what did he put on? He puts on his cloak because he's following the angel. So here's Herod putting on his royal robe, and he takes a seat upon the throne. Where did Peter go when he uh, put on, after he put his cloak on? He just follows the angel and goes to the house of prayer, if you will, to Mary's house where they're praying for him. And then it says he delivers an oration. And I don't know exactly what he said. And I don't know everything that Peter said. But what was the response to what Peter said? It seems like it was praise to God. And what's the response to what Herod says? Praise to Herod. And then you have Peter that's able to go on and continue this after that. And Herod isn't able to continue doing anything because he doesn't correct the people. He, he lets the praise happen. In fact, he probably welcomes it. I mean, who puts on the royal robe just to give an oration and then says, no, 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 don't praise me. Praise God. Now, this is what he's wanting, right? And the Lord strikes him down. And I would imagine there's a lot of fear after this. Probably a lot of people happy as well. But there's a lot of fear among people. Because this guy that holds all the power in the world, they think, has now been struck down. And I don't know what happens. Maybe people are searching for answers, wondering what's going on. But the Lord's people know exactly what's going on. So the word of God increases and is multiplied. Well, there's two other things I want to point out before we get into a couple application points. And that's that in this text, there are two times that the word but is used that shows some sort of contrast that I think is very interesting. I want to go to the first one. So you have Herod taking violent hands on some that belong to the church in verse 1. He kills James. He takes Peter. And I, I think that is the fact that it says it was during the days of unleavened bread. He probably can't put him to death immediately and has to wait for the next day. Maybe that's not lucky Peter. Maybe that's actually just God's plan. And that's not just, oh, ironic, you know. I think maybe this is all according to God's plan. But it says that this is what's happening. So you see the power of Herod. You see his intentions. You see everything that's happening. And then you have the word but, right, in verse 5. But earnest prayer is being prayed by the Christians. So in a movie or in some sort of story, I don't read very much, so I'm just going to say in a movie, that, you know, there would be this, like, thing going on in, in one setting, right? And then it would kind of, like, pan to another one. And as it's panning, it's like, but little did they know. That the, and that's kind of how I think this plays out. It's like, Herod's doing this, and he's doing all this, but little did he know. And, and it's not even, like, a super impressive thing that's happening on this other side. But earnest prayer is happening. Now, when I say impressive, I mean compared physically, compared earthly, compared to what Herod is doing, what he's able to do. It's just kind of a very subtle thing, right? But earnest prayer is happening. And I just think that, that what we should take from that is that no matter what the plans of men are, no matter what the power of man is, <coughs> prayer is powerful. Because who are they praying to? They're praying to God. And he's the one that has the power, right? 
So when we think that everything is going wrong and we just question what's happening, what should our reaction be? What's like the transition? Earnest prayer. And we don't know exactly what's going to happen from that, but we know that this can undo and outdo whatever's happening over here, right? And then the other one is, is what we already read in verse 24. But the word of God increased and multiplied. So you have praise of Herod. You have fear that's got to be going out. You have him trying to please the Jews. You have them kind of like really trying to just wreak havoc on the church. You have all these terrible things happening. But the word of God increases and is multiplied. I just have a few things just to point out uh, before we wrap up. The, the whole point of this lesson was just to take a text that we, we actually have been studying. We were studying through Acts for the last couple months. And we, we studied it in a way where we tried to hit the high notes, but I don't think we, we were able to really get in deep with a lot of these things. And I think this was one chapter maybe that just deserves a little bit more time because I think it's one of those things that maybe we just overlook. And that's that there are some powerful things happening here that we can apply to our lives today. So the first thing I just want to point out is that we need to act faithfully and quickly when we know what God wants us to do. That's what Peter did. He acted quickly and faithfully. Now, he knew what to do because the angel of the Lord specifically spoke to him. So what are we supposed to do? Well, an angel is a ministering spirit. We know that from our Hebrew study on Wednesday nights. Ministering spirit for whose behalf? It's just sent to serve us. That's that's what this angel is sent to do. Sent to serve Peter, right? Well, who do we have or what do we have that is sent to us, that is meant to serve us and to benefit us? I think one thing we can for sure have is we have the word of God, right? We have the working of God. And we have the Holy Spirit that has uh, delivered this through these men. And it is for our benefit. It is to serve us, right? So what do we do when we come into contact with something that is specific instruction that we see applies to us? We should act quickly and faithfully. Now, I think that some of us, if not most of us, would understand that when we were first faced with our sin, and we felt that pressure, and we just understood, I need to do something now. That's what we see in Acts 2. That's what we see so often in Acts. And what was the response? Repent and be baptized. So let's just start there. When we know the word of God is, here's, how, here's what you do with your sin. Well, we, we respond quickly, faithfully. We're not, we might not understand everything that's going to happen. We don't understand exactly what's going to happen after this. But we know we act now because we need this. And then what else do we see? Well, we see some things like this is what it's going to cost us. Like following Christ will cost us. It might cost us some money. It might cost us a certain job opportunity. It might cost us a relationship. And those are the things that usually we have to sit back, we have to think about, we have to really take some time for. And I respect that. But let's apply the same thing that we see from Peter here. Act quickly and faithfully to what the Word of God is. Maybe we see that we have to make some changes in our life that are moral issues, right? We see that we have to stop going to this place and doing this thing. Act quickly and faithfully. I don't know what those things are for you, but I know that we find those things, maybe not on a daily basis, but on a regular basis. And instead of just pondering them and sitting back and being like, I'm going to stew on that a little bit, or, or maybe we say, I'll pray about that, which really means I'm just putting off the inevitable or I'm not going to respond to what God is saying. We act quickly and faithfully, just like Peter. The second thing is something that we already talked about, this earnest prayer. Earnest prayer is offered because there is still a reason to hope even though you don't know what's going to happen right now. So we need to follow this example from these Christians. 
And just, just understand that there is no reason for them to really have hope that Peter will still live. But they keep praying. Well, sometimes we lose hope. Sometimes we don't know what's going to happen. And sometimes it's very hard for us to have confidence in the Lord. Or at least confidence that the Lord is going to make something happen right here and now for us, right? Hey, earnest prayer. You keep praying. And we know there's parables about prayer where sometimes the prayer is simple and it's just like, have mercy on me, a sinner. We know sometimes a prayer just needs to be something where we, we're knocking at the door over and over and over again like a persistent widow, right? Things like that. But in order to receive, what's the first step? You have to ask. So we need to have earnest, faithful prayer. And the last thing is that choosing humility gives God the glory and his kingdom is spread. Ignoring humility or having a false humility or seeking your own glory will not lead to the spread of the kingdom. It will lead to our demise. God will be glorified. He will be praised, even if we have to take the hit for that. And I'm not saying in the the media, if you take any glory, God's going to strike you down right now. I wouldn't take the chance on it, but I'm not saying that's going to happen. But, but I know that he is the one that deserves the glory and he will have his glory. Amen. Not just to humble you, but so that his word is spread. And that's how the story ends in Acts 12. The word of God is multiplied. The word of God is spread. So what we need to do today is we need to choose humility. We need to choose that God be glorified. Even in the simple things, even when someone gives us a lot of credit for something, I'm not saying that you can't say thank you. It's okay to say thank you probably. But what you don't need to do is to just say, I thought so. All right. Thanks. That's what I was wanting. No, we need to have a humble attitude and we need to communicate that to people. And, and even if that means you just say, oh, praise God. I appreciate that. Thank you for your encouragement. Praise God. That's our response. But, you know, God is the one that knows our hearts. And I'm assuming that it wasn't just that Herod had on the royal robe and that he didn't correct. I'm assuming that he sees the heart of Herod and that's why he strikes him down. I don't know if Herod had a humble bone in his body. Well, we need to be people that we just exude humility. Not just humility where we think we're terrible, but humility where we think God be praised and glorified. And then his word is spread through that. So wherever you're from, whenever you think about how you're going to influence people around you, there's a few things that, that we learn from Peter, we learn from the Christians, and then unfortunately we learn from Herod. The first is let's act quickly and faithfully when we have the word of the Lord. And when, it, when we see how it applies to us, we just do that. We just do that humbly. So then the next thing is, let's continue earnest prayer. Even in the face of danger, even in the face of lack of hope, continue earnest prayer. On behalf of your brethren and yourself. And the last thing is, just choose humility. And God will be glorified and his word will be spread. I know this is a, maybe a simple lesson, but I thought it would be good just to walk through a text and say, hey, here's some observations Here's some connections, compare and contrast, and just have those three points just to say we can do that not only at some point, but we can start doing that today. And we can do that tomorrow. And I have confidence that in Atlanta or in Prattville or wherever you're from, the word of of God will be multiplied and his word will be increased. So let's continue to do that the best we can. Let's pray for each other. Let's pray for Christians we know that are suffering and let's make sure we stay humble. We're going to have a, a song that is meant to encourage us to think about our standing before God now. If you do need prayers, we are here for you. and We want to pray with you and pray for you. 
If you need to repent of something, we want to help you with that. If you just need further Bible study, we want to help you with that. But this song is just meant to help us reflect and think about where we stand before God. So if you need something, tell us either during the song, uh, grab somebody that is a member here and tell them, or after the prayer, feel free to talk to one of us.